1: Ryan Stacey, and welcome to the Hockey Minds podcast. This podcast is powered by My Hockey Resource and Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and/or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at instatsport.com or on Twitter at Instat hockey. Today, I'm joined by Steve Nightingale, former KHL strength and conditioning coach, starting in the UK. Steve has traveled the world working with many different organizations while pursuing his passion in the game of hockey. In a different position than we're used to hearing about on the podcast, Steve shows that anything is obtainable if you're willing to put in the work and make the necessary sacrifices. So with that, I am happy to introduce Steve Nightingale, former KHL strength and conditioning coach. Lately, you've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. This week is jam-packed with action, ranging from basketball to golf, and DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to have a front-row seat to all of the action. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night and is simple to do. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Each player has a salary associated with drafting them. Assemble a lineup of players while staying under the salary cap and then sit back and watch your points pile up. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users across all sports. And DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there is no better place to get in on all the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up using code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Steve Nightingale, former KHL strength and conditioning coach. Steve, thanks for joining the podcast.
0: Thanks very much for having me on, Ryan.
1: Yeah, it's exciting to have you join the podcast today. And strength and conditioning is an area that I've been trying to get on the podcast for some time. So it's finally nice to, uh, to have someone like yourself with a range of experience come on and talk about that area. But let's just start off by talking about you personally and getting to know you better. Talk about your upbringing. Playing sports in your early years, possibly, and just tell us a little bit about who you are overall.
0: Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess I should start by saying that I'm from the UK. I'm not Australian. So I've I've been very lucky to travel across North America quite a lot of the time. And and every single time without fail, somebody asked me if I'm Australian. So no, I'm from I'm from England. I'm from the UK. Um, and then the next question people always ask me is well how do you end up working in hockey if you're from the UK Um, and to be honest I guess hockey is it's not huge in England but it's a lot bigger than most people think it is I would say we have um, three now well it's a little bit difficult with COVID but we have three or four professional leagues and that top elite league um, they can draw sort of six to 7,000 fans to the game so it's pretty big actually and I was, I grew up in a town called Peterborough, um, which happened to have a rink and and we had a pro team. And I think I was 11 when my mom took me and my little brother to go and watch a game. And I was just hooked from, from the first one. It was, there was more fighting than, than anything else. We didn't know, but it was like a local rival game back in the nineties. And, and, you know, it was just wild. And, and so, yeah, loved it from, from day one. And, Played hockey gr- growing up and and still played actually um, even when I even last year when I was in the KHL I, I still got on the ice a little bit so yeah played hockey for a very long time um, I guess in terms of professionally I went I did my undergrad in two thousand and six uh, in sport and physical education then I did a teaching degree then I did a master's degree in strength and conditioning. Um, and then I'm, well, currently I'm doing a PhD in applied sport and exercise science. So um, I've kind of been very, very fortunate just to combine those two things. I, I love like exercise physiology and kinesiology and strength and conditioning. And I love hockey. So being able to, to combine those two things has been awesome.
1: Yeah. Anytime you can combine your passions in whatever area they may be and bring them into one job. I think that's, uh, you know, the definition of a dream job when you can do that. So uh, definitely hockey was a part of your childhood and, and you were hooked, like you said, from day one. And then you were also to in, able to integrate strength and conditioning and, and your passion for fitness. And, uh, you know, moving into the team setting, you started off with the Peterborough Phantoms. Just talk about how you got to that position and uh, speak about your first team setting working uh, as a strength and conditioning coach in hockey.
0: Yeah, it was um, really Again, like one of those moments for me. So I grew up watching that team play. And and I, as I played there as a junior in Peterborough. And um, it was, I guess I was probably in my second or maybe my last year of university. Um, And, you know, I I had links with the club and I knew a lot of guys there. And I said, listen, do you have anyone for for strength and conditioning? And they said, well, we we don't have anyone. Like we don't have medical. We don't, it was the second tier of british hockey so it's not the most uh, professional you've ever seen and and they were like yeah like you know come on and, and do whatever you you want really so i took a dual role i was working with the club uh or, or with that sort of senior men's team but then they had an academy uh program for their younger athletes so a lot of what i did was work with those younger guys. So we would go and do, um, you know, strength and conditioning, but these kids are, you know, 14, 15 years old and, and trying to sort of make their way into pro hockey there. So, um, did some stuff like that. And then with the, with the men's team, actually a lot of that, that was a, a real mixed role, And I guess it, it stood me in good stead because it was kind of getting used to wearing lots of different hats so I was doing sports massage for the guys. I was on the bench doing first aid for the guys. Um, I was, you know, filling up water bottles and, and everything else. And and then just doing a little bit of, of training plans and, and getting in the gym with the guys as well. So a lot of those players were, they would have a full-time job as well as being an ice hockey player. So um, it was more the the full-time players I could get to work one-on-one with. But yeah um, that was my my kind of first experience of of it and was just loved like you know being part of that team and, and I was incredibly lucky the year that I was there they won uh, there was three domestic competitions and they won all three of those competitions so uh really lucky to be involved with that with that process
1: yeah and it sounds like a great experience being able to like you said try different things and and be involved in more than just the training you know filling up water bottles and and performing first aid, you know, anytime you can go into a position that gives you the, the flexibility in the room to try these uh, different skills, it definitely benefits you down the road. And, and then on top of that, being successful in, t- in terms of on the ice and, you know, winning, um, I think that definitely fuels your further passion to move forward in the game and, and continue down that path. And for you, you would continue down that path. And and next time you'd be able to jump in as a strength and conditioning coach with the English Ice Hockey Association. Uh, Talk about that opportunity and kind of again to move up a little bit and and work with a a bigger organization in a sense.
0: Yeah, that that was, again, most of my uh, opportunities have come because like I said, ice hockey obviously isn't huge in the UK. So these clubs lots of them don't really have a lot of money and, and lots of them want help and they want developing and they want expertise, but they can't often, you know, afford to pay for it and stuff. So um, I was working, uh, teaching at a college. Um, I had my master's degree. I had a love of hockey and I was basically harassing English ice hockey and saying, listen, do you want someone to come and help with your program? Like, you know, I love hockey. I know about strength and conditioning. Like, can we make this work somehow? So um, kind of was firing off emails and nobody was replying and, and that sort of thing. And, and eventually uh, I just got an email back that said, listen, this is our, I think I, I was emailing like the secretary, the general manager, like the the T guy, like anyone. And, and eventually I got an email back and said, hey, here's our sports therapist, like contact her and, and have a talk. So I had a chat to her and and she said, yeah, like, we would love you to come on down. We have the therapy side covered, but we have nothing for strength and conditioning. So come on down. Um, and that role just then kind of exploded from there. And I, I ended up, uh, as the head of strength and conditioning there for four years. Um, and basically again, it was, it was a part-time position whilst I was, whilst I was still working in a, in a college and we took charge of the national team programs. So that was um, the kind of, I guess the youngest age group was maybe U11 uh, all the way up um, to U18s. And then I I didn't get involved with the men's senior program then. There's actually, we might talk about this later, but there's a, a, I'm in talks with them at the minute to maybe go back in and work with a senior member. That's a different thing. Um, I worked for the women's Great Britain program as well. So uh, a lot of what I was doing there was working on training camps. So they would have maybe two or three training camps a year um, where, you know, they'd have maybe, you know, 50 kids there and, and we're doing fitness testing. We're looking at them on ice. Um, We're giving them sort of a lot of education because they're, cause it's a lot of remote work all the time. Um, you know, you'd see these, these kids for two days maybe, but then they'd go back to their, to their clubs. So a lot of that was about education and, and it was very nice. I was able to take that further, spend some time educating the coaches and the coaching team. I remember a conversation I had very new kind of into my, role there and and one of the head coaches called me and and he said hey like uh I just want to run this by you like I'm thinking um you know I really want to see how how hard these kids can work and I really want to push them so like I just want you to like just crush them like just beast them when when you get them I'm like these kids are 14 years old man like come on like let's have let's have a bit more of a, a sensible approach to this so um being able to educate the coaches was was really cool and then like I said where you're dealing with these kids who are maybe 10 11 12 years old a lot of that goes on to their parents as well so a, a lot of that time was educating the parents and you know invariably every single time i would do a talk you know we talk about nutrition we talk about whether they should be taking protein where they should be lifting weights um what stretching they should be doing all that sort of stuff so yeah a, a big exposure to you know young kids um older older sort of women and and sort of fully developed um women who who were playing in the top league in the UK and yeah just a big big range got to work with some great physiotherapists and sports therapists and worked with another strength and conditioning coach who in a strange sort of circle has now become my PhD supervisor as well so uh it's all kind of linked back as well
1: yeah, the hockey industry is one of those things that you never know who you're going to meet, and you really don't know where you're going to meet them again in the future. But uh, you know, a lot of opportunity was presented again in, in that role, and you were exposed to a number of different age groups, and, and able to work on different things such as you know strength and conditioning, nutrition, and and also again to educate parents and coaches, which was something uh, that a lot of people might not initially think about when they're talking with someone in that role. So great to hear about the overall experience there moving forward, your next position would be with the Coventry blaze, a team that we actually talked about with a coach, uh, only a couple episodes ago, uh, maybe just talk about the opportunity to now work with that organization and how that differed from your previous experiences.
0: Yeah, that was, it was an interesting one. And actually I feel, I was quite disappointed in a way I didn't get to work as much as with them as I wanted because I, the opportunity in China came up, which I know we'll, we'll get onto, but, um, I I, you know I'm trying to think back I can't even remember how the role came about initially it was probably me again just like harassing anyone and everyone who would talk to me and, and saying listen let me come and help you um Coventry are an elite league team um in that top division again they they have a kind of a reasonable sized arena and reasonable fan base, but the money doesn't go very far. Right. So whilst their players are all fully professional players, it didn't extend too far beyond their the kind of immediate hockey up staff. So um, the way their workouts were organized was they had a sponsorship with a local gym and they used uh, a personal trainer who was at that gym and he would write the programs and and take the boys through the programs now i think he and he was a great guy I don't like a lot of love for him and, and he and we worked closely together and um but i think they were interested in me because a of my background in playing hockey and then having worked at, at those levels of of hockey before so uh i basically came on board almost like a consultant i suppose i i was I guess my house is two and a half hours from Coventry at the time. And it wasn't realistic to drive down there every day to coach the boys. So they kept their personal trainer on. Um, I would work with him to write the programs for the players. Uh, He would then deliver those, those workouts. The team had a heart rate system. Um, So I then got involved and that was, was, that was really cool because they would wear the heart rate belts they get uploaded onto a cloud storage system i can sit in my room and download the the results so that was uh one of my kind of first pretty cool exposures to to sports science within the sport um i'm a i'm a big kind of proponent of of sports science and high performance models with with SNC. so that was really cool to get involved with and looking at the training and who was working off ice and on ice and all that sort of stuff was was interesting there um and then I got involved in the fitness testing at like the preseason testing and stuff. So went down to Coventry for a couple of days um, just to, to run those guys through a whole bunch of, of fitness tests as well. It was interesting. That was my first taste of a team who were a professional group of athletes, you know, so with the phantoms, maybe two or three of them were full time, but uh, Coventry, they were elite professional athletes and, and you felt that, or I certainly felt it walking in to the, to the hall to do the fitness testing. It was, you know, 20 sets of eyes looking at me like, here we are, we're ready to be tested. Let's, you know, let's go. And, and it was kind of, I don't want to say a rude awakening, but it was, it was nice to, that they were ready and, and had that expectation and, and everything was very professional with
1: them. Yeah. When anytime that you're put in a situation where you're working with professionals or, or players that believe they're ready to make that professional jump. Uh, They just come in with a different approach to the game and whether it's on the ice or off the ice. And uh, you know, it it definitely pushes you to be better and pushes you to be more serious and efficient uh, in your role when players are kind of approaching it the same way. Um, You know, in that conversation there, you also talked about eventually that role would stop because you got another opportunity. And uh, this one would come with the Chinese ice hockey association. You know it's a little bit of a different location for you and having to do some moving and again maybe not a traditional hockey market but one that is up and coming so just talk about the difference in working with those players in a different country and that whole experience for you personally
0: yeah it was um it was crazy to be honest and and the best decision i ever made but looking back sometimes i wonder how on earth i made that decision so I was actually at a camp for English ice hockey had an email from uh, a guy I've done some work with in the past. Um, incredible, incredible uh, practitioner called Adam Douglas, who works for Hockey Canada. Um, and he emailed me. And it was, I, I, it was probably like midnight my time. And, and my phone went off, and I read this email. And it said, Oh, like, if you want a job, there's a job in China, do you want to speak to this guy? And I just, close it down or whatever and I spoke to my wife the next day uh at the time and and said oh my god like this crazy thing happened like somebody asked me if I wanted a job in China and she said well what did you say I'm like well I said no obviously like well I'm not gonna go to China and she said well listen at least talk to them and hear them out and see what they see what they have to say so um kind of with that support I I moved it forward and had a, a call with the head coach he was a canadian guy from from nova scotia um and and we had a chat for about half an hour and i sent him kind of my outline of of what i think training would look like for that team and and whatever and yeah the next thing i know i'm on a flight to uh to jilin in heilongjiang no jilin province in J, yeah jilin jilin province um and and, and a, a wild four years kind of happened after that. So um, that team so I, I don't know where to begin uh, like hockey, sport in China is crazy, okay They have so much money. they have a, almost an infinite resource of money and people, right? So the program is unlike anything you can you can imagine. So I was, tasked to work with the female U18 <clears throat> and development squad so that was the development squad were, were girls who were probably like 18 19 years old who weren't quite good enough to be in the national team but were were on that path um then the the full senior national team women they had another strength coach who was a canadian guy from vancouver um so, I, so I, I arrive, I have 50 girls aged between 14 and 21. They uh, are all full-time professional athletes. So they don't go to school. They earn a full-time salary. They are on, So when I arrived, my head coach says, right, here's the schedule. They, they do two hours ice in the morning. Then they have 90 minutes in the gym with you. Then we have two hours ice in the afternoon. And then we have an hour um, doing some dry land training in the evenings every day. I'm like every day. He's like, yeah, every single day, seven days a week. That's what they do. I'm like, this is, we're going to have to change this. Like it's, you know, and uh, we, we made some changes. Some, some of them we were able to make, some of them were forced upon us. Um, But ultimately, yeah, they practice, that they're considered employees of the state, right? They're, they're paid by the Chinese government. So the government expect them to work like any other government employee nine to five. So, so these girls just were doing an unbelievable amount of training. Um, and, and like I said, some of them are 14 years old. I'm uh, probably the highest paid Uh, like earner in their family so then they're sending money back to their family to to you know make ends meet as well so uh, uh, just a fascinating experience I didn't speak a word of Chinese when I arrived Um, I remember you know the travel was was awful getting there and I think I got maybe four hours sleep and then and then we're up at 6am to get the bus to to the rink and, and and I get there and the, the head coach says, right, go go run a warm up. I said, okay, great. Uh, beautiful facility, incredible facility, um, huge, big basketball court. And and he says, go run a warm up. I said, great. Uh, you know, wh- where's the, the translator? He says, right, the assistant coach is the translator. She's Chinese, but she speaks great English. Awesome. But I need her. Oh, okay. So, what, what do I have? He's like, just, you just make it work. You'll be fine. So I'm stood on a basketball court. Like I, I think at that point we had like 35 girls. Um, I'm looking at them like, does any of you speak English? And they're just looking at me like a blank face. So that was my introduction uh, into, into Chinese hockey. It was, it was wild. And then man, I, I moved around and we lived in different cities and we, had different tournaments and and yeah, it was an incredible experience. I loved every minute of it.
1: Yeah, that's uh, very different from from anything that we've heard on the podcast. And, you know, it's a, it's a different region of the world and uh, a lot of different factors thrown in there in, in ice hockey. But incredible to hear that you were able to go in there and make it work. And, you know, I'm sure people who are listening have been in situations where maybe not exactly like you, but, you know, you get up in front of a room and you're trying to coordinate a class in a language that, you know, they don't speak. So that's just, again, it shows the the commitment to kind of making it work and dealing with those situations. And not everybody can do that, but you were able to make it successful. And for you, you know, you kept going with the Chinese, um, you know, associations and your next role would be director of sport performance with the Chinese Olympic committee. Uh, just talk about how you eventually transitioned into that role and some of the tasks that you had to deal with in that position.
0: Yeah. So, um, so the timeline goes, so I finished with, with women's hockey, that program got a little bit messy. It's fair to say, because again, talking of circles, the, the red star who I ended up working for years later, red star came in and essentially somehow bought the women's national team. I don't even know how that's possible, but they did. Um, And, you know, with the new owner and, and everything else, they, you know replaced all the clubs but i then picked so i picked up a, a second contract working for short track speed skating which was something i had no idea about you know i'd never even really watched it much but uh it's actually china's sort of premier winter sport. they're historically incredibly successful uh in short track speed skating so i got involved in that program uh and, and we were working up to to 2018 to pyeongchang so um, worked in that program uh, up to Pyeongchang. The squad were reasonably successful, and we we took four Olympic medals. That contract ended, um, and I was I kind of had a had some time left on my Chinese visa, and I was waiting around and seeing what offers. And I had some offers come in from different organizations, so I was seeing what was what was going to happen. And um, whilst I was working for short track there was a a strength coach who was working with figure skating and we were in the same training center and our contracts ended at the same time. And he got offered this role with the, with the Chinese Olympic committee to, to organize this project. And he said, listen, you know, it's going to be a big project. I might need somebody to come on board as an assistant. So I jumped at at that role. So um, yeah. So the next thing I know I'm, I'm now gone from being just a strength coach in a team to managing 50 strength coaches in 40 Olympic programs. And it was kind of, it was just, every single day was, was crazy. And every day was something different and a new challenge. And it was incredibly challenging for, for a whole bunch of reasons. For uh, our immediate supervisors obviously were Chinese. So trying to bridge those kind of cultural differences in the in how they work in business you know their business practices are are very very different and it was very challenging to understand that but then on the other side of that we were hiring and working with other organizations who brought staff over and then so now I've got you know strength coaches from America and from Canada and from France and Spain and um, we had some Australian guys and they all come over and they're bringing all their different cultures. And so I had this huge melting pot of cultures in a city that can be quite, we were in Beijing. It's an incredible city, but it's very, very daunting. It's 25 million people. Like that's a a pretty scary city to to end up in. Um, And then in no time at all, these, these strength coaches, they, they just about come in they get set up with a bank account, set up with a phone, and then it's like, okay, here's your plane ticket because you're off somewhere else to work with this team, and you might have a translator and you might not, you might have a physio, you might not, your coach might speak English and he might not. Um, so ultimately, the I would say the majority of my job was was man management was you know dealing with with coaches having this, you know, just a crisis every single day of, of not being able to function in that culture, I was lucky that I had a lot of exposure to it. So I was able to offer advice and guidance. And they're like, listen, I'm having this problem. I'm like, I've already had that problem. Let me tell you how I how I got around it. Um, we, you know, as part of that project, like I said, we, we were hiring people from, a, from abroad, we, we were setting up Uh, what you know a a high performance program if you like so it was it was from the basics of writing out policies and procedures I didn't ever think as as a strength coach that I was going to be writing out someone's disciplinary or holiday procedure like it was it was crazy but then it was you know testing protocols and and reporting and how that how they should be reporting and but we also got to stay working as well so I spent some time with the uh, the Chinese Rowing Association Um, who haven't been a a powerhouse particularly, but I think as and when these Olympics happen, you're going to see some incredible things coming out of Chinese rowing. They're they're really incredible. So yeah, did that, got to go to the Asian games, which was another incredible experience in in Indonesia, Uh, supported the rowing team there. Um, Yeah. So, so it was, like I said, a wild, a wild time with no two days, the same, I, I think, so nobody uses email over really in china they they use a bit like whatsapp but it's the chinese version of whatsapp and i reckon I, I think i was getting probably 400 whatsapps a day from coaches just or from from my boss and and of course we had we had some coaches uh, over in portland in oregon and we had coaches over in japan so like the time span was was truly global so there was no time that was off limit i was on call 24 7 um and yeah it was it was eye-opening
1: yeah i think that's one of those situations where everybody says you know you want to work in sport it's it's not a it's not as simple as going and watching a game and and enjoying it from a fan perspective there's a lot of work that needs to be put into it and that 24 hour feeling whether literally 24 hours in your case or it feels like 24 hours it's yeah. uh, it's a grind and it really tests your uh, your limits and your your love of the game for sure at times. Yeah. But, you know, being able to go into a situation like that again and have all these, you know, amazing experiences with people, what it seems like all around the world coming to to China and interacting with coaches there, it's, uh, you know, it's an experience that I'm sure a few years back you didn't think you'd be in, but you kind of embrace it and, and take it for what it's worth.
0: it was It was just, it's a very humbling and eye-opening experience they have the, a huge training center in the heart of beijing um, and you would walk in there on any given day and you have table tennis players who have won five olympic gold medals you have weightlifters who have multiple olympic gold medalists that uh, uh, you had the the volleyball team who just won the gold medal in in brazil they had the gymnastics they had swimming they had diving it you know it was an unbelievable wealth of just just truly elite performers and you're just there in the middle of it all just thinking i don't know if i should even be here but but that's the way it was
1: yeah it's uh, it's always fun to to hear about the uh, the feeling in being in a, a situation where you're around these elite players and you know, a lot of times when we have these conversations with coaches like yourself or other people in the industry, uh, whether they venture out into other sports and try different opportunities, there's always that passion to get back into the game of hockey. And for you, you were lucky enough to move back uh, this time in the KHL with Red Star. So just discuss the excitement moving into one of the top hockey leagues in the world uh, on the pro side. And, uh, you know, just your overall feeling of working with those players day in and day out.
0: Yeah, it was um, an a, absolute a dream come true. I, I'd had uh, the three of us, we ended up with three directors at the Olympic Committee and that didn't end too well, uh, unfortunately, for us. But six hours later, the, the Red Star called me and, and offered me a position. And again, like you say, go. I like, I love hockey. It's been in my life for, for 20 plus years. So, so to get that opportunity was huge. And it was a bit of... Um, kind of luck and timing and i was in beijing and the team were based in beijing so that russian khl for for anybody who isn't too familiar with it yes it's predominantly russia but you have kazakhstan you have finland latvia uh belarus and and the team in china so um yeah got the opportunity had had a call with the with the gm um and got sort of going planning what we were going to do in, in the off season and and whatever. And that I was looking at the, the players that they had the year before and, and getting myself very, very worried. I'm going to not lie. I remember I had a call, uh, there's a player. He's actually still with the team. Andre Schuster played for Tampa Bay. I think he has like 400 NHL games or something like that. Um, and I was kind of emailing him and, and he was asking a bit about China and stuff. And so I ended up on you know, on, on a call with him and afterwards I got for the phone. I'm like, oh my God, like that guy's a legit nhl and And it was just the, the level had just raised so much. And, you know, we had last year, we had Joubert Brulé first round draft pick. We had Griffin Reinhardt first round draft pick. We had Devante Smith-Pelly won the cup with the caps. We had... Um, Steve Casper was our assistant coach. He's won a Selkie. Like these are our major guys in the industry. And I'm some kid from England, like telling them what to do. It was, it was very, very exciting and, and but very nerve wracking at the same time. You know, I remember going in and I met, we, we had a guy called Wojciech Wolski. He um, incredible professional again, really great NHL career um, team Canada at the Olympics. And uh, you know, he's trained with, with some of the huge names in, in strength and conditioning. And we walk in and, and I'm just like, how am I going to tell this guy what to do when he's done everything? You know, it was, it was really intimidating, but the guys were incredibly welcoming, respected my knowledge and my experience. Um, I I didn't work a day of that of that year it was just so much fun and and hard like we had a our goalie coach was dusty emu who'd been with the king's organization and he'd been with with winnipeg before that um and we were joking around because he was saying i remember in the nhl like if you have a four-hour flight you're losing your mind because it's so far and now we're in the khl and like you fly from beijing to helsinki well that's an 11-hour flight so you know the, the travel was was crazy the chinese because ultimately russian league but we have chinese owners and chinese organizers their way of organization is different let's say to a western philosophy so they're very they're quite reactive and they make changes very last minute so um we had a six week preseason I think we were in five cities and six rinks in six weeks, you know, we would go to a rink. There was no gym whatsoever. And, and you're like, well, how am I, you know, we're four weeks out from the season. How am I supposed to train these guys with, with no gym? And um, so, yeah, it was great. And, and I just remember being, cause so I would be on the bench. So, so we had a great video guy, um, and the way it worked was he, he's, you know, as video guys are up in the stands, you know, tagging, tagging games as we go. And I'm on the bench with an iPad and he was able to send me clips instantly. So if we wanted to challenge, you know, offside or, or something, we could, we could do that. So, you know, the, I've gone from being with like the, the Chinese under 18 women. And now all of a sudden I'm still on a bench with a guy who's coached Atlanta, a guy who's coached Boston Bruins Alexei Kovalev and I'm and there's 20,000 fans in an arena and I'm just like all right this is this is the real deal now I'm I'm pretty happy with with what I've got
1: yeah it's it's incredible to uh you know you can't even understand like where you're going to end up the next day in the game because you know you like you said you're one day you're working with U18 female and next thing you know you're working with a a staff that's full of ex-NHL players and coaches and and professional players, in a sense, so uh, pretty incredible to hear that you got that opportunity and, and it kind of just fell to you um, in between positions. And uh, you know, you talk about being in a situation where you feel like, What can I teach this player? They've already done it. Why are they listening to me? And it's funny because we've talked with skills coaches who are kind of, you know, in a similar way working one on one with these players, like you were doing a lot of times, and they're doing it just on the ice. And, and one of our guests, uh, Jeff Allmer felt the same way is like, why are they, what can I teach this player? And he said the same thing in the way that the players are, are so professional and so responsive and, uh, you know, they understand you're there for a reason and they're just willing to, to take it in and, and listen to what you're saying and, and, you know, just be responsive in that way. So, uh, very interesting to hear how it works off the ice as well. And, and how your time in, with red star was in that sense. Now going into some more discussion questions, which I know is an approach that you like to take on your podcast. Uh, you know, you've worked with athletes in pretty much every sport. It sounds like, uh, throughout the last couple of years, uh, how does the game of hockey specifically change your approach to training these players? Like what are some things that you maybe have to look at, uh, when working with hockey players specifically?
0: Um, I think there's, I guess there's a couple of different things. Um, I've, you know, yeah, I've worked with a lot of elite athletes. So the work ethic is normally there w- with these guys. With hockey and, and particularly with the KHL, it's that um, constant game load. You, you never have a break. You know, it, it's actually funny because I'm doing my PhD at the minute. And in that, I'm looking at this idea of fixture congestion but the concept of fixture congestion comes from English soccer because they play one game a week. So when they have to play two games a week, they lose their mind because they're like, but we need to work on this five days before prep the game. We need to work on this four days before the game. And then you go to, you know, the NHL or the KHL when they're playing every other night. So you have to change everything about how you're gonna, you know, you can't use a traditional model if you're working with Olympic athletes like I've done before well they may have a one competition every two months so you have a you know a kind of block where you can fairly linearly figure out what you're going to work on and how are you going to progress this but then you come to to the KHL for example and it's just, OK, so we're going to practice and then we're going to play and then we're going to practice and then we're going to play over and over and over. Oh, and don't forget, we're going to travel 8000 kilometers and then you're going to have two hours sleep. And so really, you know, that that changed a lot and opened my eyes a lot to to how you have to manage the load. Uh, and it and that's that's what my Ph.D. is in is is load through, through professional hockey, external load, and how to manage it, how to work with coaches to, to plan more productive practices, uh, try and reduce the risk of injuries, try and keep your best players on the ice as, as much as you can. So, yeah, I think that's been the thing that I saw with hockey was the, the volume that they do. The fact that we would play a game at 7.30 at night, finish at 10.30, and then they all come in the gym and have a lift. And if I ever told uh, a strength coach who works in English soccer, oh, yeah, our guys come in after a game and they lift, that guy would just think I'm out of my mind, like because they have so much time in the week to do it that they don't need to to do it like that. So that was one. Um, I guess uh, just just a little difference of of the injuries and and how they – that how they sort of manifest themselves um you know a lot of shoulder issues from from guys so i you know i'd get guys in and you know right today's workout we're gonna have pull-ups and i have six guys like i can't put my hands above my head because i've had four surgeries on my shoulder i said like, oh okay so so you have to kind of change a lot of stuff on the fly with with that sort of thing and um and, and you know groins are then and then a huge part It's there's there are similarities between running and skating, but then there are huge differences as well. So that that movement pattern and there's a big debate at, currently in the industry and I'm not entirely sure where I fall on it right now, but it's about when you're training sprinting how technical you get do you want that to look like technically like sprinting because it's not actually what they do on the ice do you want the arms to do what they do in a sprint or do you want them to do when what they do when they're skating because they're two very different things and i don't think anyone has the right answer to that yet so yeah it was it was a lot of um a lot of fun a lot of hard work and but but a really great experience
1: Yeah. And a lot of those things that you learn, obviously you have to study a lot, but you also learn it just from being in those situations. For example, you know, with the shoulder injuries, that's something that you don't really realize until you're in a gym and and half your team, you know, isn't able to do that workout. So these are the things that it's good to hear people like yourself who have been in those positions and, and kind of get the the inside information on on kind of how it works in working with players uh, all across the world. Now you've worked in a, a number of, hockey markets and you've worked with a number of teams Uh, you know in a team setting do you build your plan for a whole team generally or is there a process of evaluating each and every player and working on individual plans
0: i'd say it's a mixture of the two um so you know you have ultimately you know, you, you can talk about, okay, a goalie is, is maybe a bit of a different animal. I can say that cause that's me. I'm a goalie. So they're always a bit of a special case, but aside from that, if you look at the, the movements that the players do on the ice, it's, it's pretty similar. Okay. So I don't need to write an entirely fresh workout for 27 guys because they're all going to be doing similar things. Um, going back to that point about, for example, a shoulder issue. Well, I might have pull-ups in my program, but I know, okay, so player X and player Y, they're not going to do pull-ups. They're going to have to do this instead. Um, Throughout the season, we would also uh, individualize or personalize the programs, and that was often done on the minutes played. So, you know, if if you've got high-minute guys and they're going to come in and lift after the game, well – you can't tell if a guy's just done 20 minutes and another guy's done four minutes, like you're not going to tell me they're they're now going to come in and, and be at the same capacity. So we would individualize stuff like that. And, you know, you're working with the scratch guys and and those scratch players would have, you know, different on ice stuff to do. Um, and then we would, I, I used to love those workouts. Actually, we had a great guy, uh, Garrett Hunt played in the ECHL. He's the all time record holder for penalty minutes in the echl uh great great guy complete crazy but but an incredible guy and um we used to have some pretty fun scratch workouts and and i i'd say he you know he'd come into the gym and say right what what are we doing i'm like oh the workouts on the board he's like no what are we doing like you're doing this with me i was like oh okay let's go uh so that was fun but um yeah so i'd say i'd say there is a general plan. And then based off of the individual needs, they might have more work, less work, they might have some, um, you know, we might tweak the exercises. So we might progress an exercise for one person, we might regress the exercise for somebody else. Uh, and then we'd often look at what they've done on the ice and, and change the workouts that way as well.
1: Yeah, a lot of things to consider when building those plans. But I figured it would be some combination of the two just because of the team setting that you're working. But, uh, you know, a lot of times while the players are ultimately trying to do the same thing on the ice, there are different roles and different situations. And then every body type is different as well. So those things come into play, Uh, you know, outside of the physical situation, you know, sometimes you have people who are maybe not as committed off the ice as they are on the ice, or, or maybe there's varying levels there uh a lot of times we see this maybe in minor hockey but some people would be surprised to hear that it's also at the professional level and everything in between maybe just talk about uh maybe nothing specific but how you take that approach to uh to tasking or overcoming that challenge
0: yeah it's uh it's more common than people would think i would say uh, and certainly yeah, I'm not going to name names, but, but thinking about that Red Star team last year, some guys would just love being in the gym and, and would be always wanting more. And, you know, some guys, if they were in the gym, I think they're lost because it's the first time they've been in all year. So a um, couple of different ways, I suppose, uh, me personally, the way, I, the way I approach it, I guess, listen, these guys are professional athletes with, with contracts. They're playing every day to keep that contract. It's a cutthroat industry and guys will get cut and they'll get traded and they'll put on, get put on waivers. And they understand that their actions have consequences and they can choose. And that's the way I take it with them. And and I always say this to the players, listen, I'm not going to come around and chase you and drag you into the gym. If you don't want to come into the gym, you're not coming into the gym, but there's two things. One, it's your contract at the end of the day. Like it's, I'm fine. I'm going to keep my job, but it's your contract. And the second thing is I'm not going to run and sue you to a coach. I'm not going to go into the head coach's office and say, oh, this player didn't show, this player didn't show. But if he directly asks me a question, I'm also not going to lie. So at the end of the day, you're a professional and, and you take your, your, your choice. Um, I had I had a player last year who didn't come into the gym A lot to be honest um but on the same by the same token that guy was playing he was a d-man playing like 27 minutes a night for 60 games and would come and do a personalized warm-up with me every single game so i know that guy is is ticking over he doesn't necessarily need you know pushing and, and harassing and again he was he was a guy who'd had a great nhl career was you know more of a a veteran player if it was you know a 20 year old kid well maybe I'm going to be start you know kicking him in the ass a little bit and being like listen you need to get involved but I kind of you know respect the the players in that they have done what they need to do to get to where they are and I'm not going to I'm not going to get a guy who's 32 33 34 years old and and revolutionize how he feels about strength and conditioning so I'm not going to have a fight with him every single day. I'm just going to say, listen, it's your choice. You do what you want, but you, you're going to be the one who suffers the consequences.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it's a process of just enforcing that accountability and, and making sure the players understand that at the end of the day, it's their decision and, and you know, what decision they make will have consequences, whether positive or, or negative, mm-hmm. obviously. So interesting to hear your perspective in that area as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, throughout this conversation, we've heard a lot of your experiences in other sports, and you've worked with what people will consider amateurs all the way to professionals. How important do you think it is in your field specifically to have experience with people in other sports and at different stages of their career when you're going into a position, you know, at the at the highest level eventually?
0: I think it's an interesting balancing act, almost. I was actually having this conversation with my with my podcast co-host. A couple of days ago and he was saying sometimes he worries that he's been too general and he he's got an incredible experience he's, he's worked with olympic you know gold medalists um uh, across a, a huge range of sports but he's like well you're the hockey guy like everything you do is in hockey and sometimes i worry that that people don't know me for one thing and i think there's probably a middle ground somewhere that, that should be reached and And working, you know, coming out of of hockey, working in short track, working in rowing, you have to, you, you, you come outside of your comfort zone a little bit, you have to go back into, okay, so I need to read about this, I need to go and do a needs analysis of the sport, and it's a sport that I know nothing about, like, I had no idea about rowing. I didn't know how many people were in a boat. I didn't know what side the oars were on. I didn't know if they went forwards or backwards. I, I knew nothing about rowing. So, and that's that's a, a, an elite level. That's a very, very technical sport. So I had a lot of, of work to do and, and spent some time with some great technical coaches learning about that sport. Um, so I think it's very, very good to to have experience in a couple of different sports because it's it's about a process. It, this is personally what I believe. Physiology is physiology, right? The body responds in pretty predictable ways depending on what you do to it. So that's not the challenging part, but adapting that to be the right fit for the sport that you're in um, is, is trickier. And if you've only ever worked in one sport, maybe you're missing, maybe, you know, you've got this kind of narrow focus, but maybe you're missing some of the stuff on the outside. So I think that's certainly, certainly one part of it. In terms of amateurs up to professionals, um, it's, it can constantly catch you out. I think you assume if somebody is a professional athlete, that they're a professional strength trainer, or they have experience in professional strength training. And I remember, again, uh, a workout last, last year with a team. And we, we had, you know, some Olympic lifting going on, some cleans. And um, I'm chatting away to an athlete and he was looking over my shoulder and he was like, Steve, I think you might want to have a look at this. And I turn around it's one of our players, just like with the worst technique and form you've ever seen, And it really surprised me because I was like, you've been to college. You've been through an NHL organization. How are you this bad? But it, but it was just a a reminder to me that, you know, you can't judge every book by its cover and you might have some, um, professional athletes who are either not very good or not very, um, committed to office. And you can have some, some amateurs who were incredibly enthusiastic, very knowledgeable, um, I've worked, I did some work with the referees in, in the uh, UK and I had some of those guys come to me for programs and, and we had some really fascinating discussions. And this guy's like, I don't know, he works, you know, as a solicitor in the day, he does refereeing at night and he's asking me about different types of training. And I'm thinking, geez, you know, more than I do about this. Um, so yeah, I think don't judge a book by its cover, but, but having that wide range of experiences is really great.
1: Definitely. And when you have a number of experiences, uh, like you have, and, but also being specific in hockey, you know, you can really offer up your guidance in hockey with also talking about other areas as well. And, and listeners are always interested in those, uh, types of perspectives. So a couple of listener questions here to throw at you, uh, you know, the number here is five. It doesn't have to be five, but what are some of the best off ice exercises and potentially on ice drills that can be done to improve explosiveness and first three stride quickness.
0: Yeah. It's, it's something that everybody always wants to get. Everybody always wants to be quicker and and it's understandable when you look at the game of hockey and how it's played, it's just a crucial part. Um, You look at guys like uh, McKinnon now and how he moves with his kind of forward crossover strides is he's so quick. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, I guess it's, you know, there's a million different ways to do it. Um, I would say firstly, having a strong strength foundation. So I, so I definitely get our guys doing a lot of two leg and and single leg work. And there will be things like trap bar deadlifts, um, Bulgarian or, or riff elevated split squats. Um, thinking about not only being uh that's that's sagittal plane front and back. So thinking about doing stuff in other planes. So you might do some laterals, lateral work as well. Um, to get a very nicely rounded foundation. And then once you have a, a strong foundation, it's about moving quickly. At the end of the day, if your goal is to move quickly on the ice, you need to move quickly. And that can be done in the form of, of jumping work. It can be done in the form of Olympic lifting. It can be done in the form of medicine ball work. So some, some medicine ball throws, any of those and any combination is, is going to be great for that. Um, you know, it stands to reason the heavier the weight, the slower you're going to move. So you're you're talking here about Weights that aren't particularly heavy, but weights that you can move particularly fast, uh, and then on top of that, it's just moving fast. It's it's getting either you know on the ice or or on a track, get out and do the sprints, because that's that's ultimately what you're what you're aiming for there as well. So,
1: yeah, some great insight on that uh, specific area and talking about the quickness and definitely an area I'm sure that you get a lot of questions as you mentioned because of the way that the game is changing and players like McKinnon and, and Connor McDavid are really changing the way that the sport is viewed. Um, you know, Quinn Hughes, even defensemen are, are jumping into rush that way. Now another question that I have for you from a listener is about the Hill workout and just wondering what your thoughts are on that topic and, and maybe have you used it in the past?
0: Yeah. So Hill, Hill running um, as a, as a training method isn't new obviously it's been around for a long long time it's it's a very good for hockey players in that the you know I, I said it earlier running on flat ground and skating they have similarities but they're not the same and some of those differences are about how long your foot is in contact with the ground for it's what we call ground contact time um, you have a different angle of your shin and those things aren't really replicated on flat ground running, but they do start to get more replicated in, on hill sprinting. So actually a hill sprint is more um, replicable, if you like, f- in terms of, of what a hockey stride looks like. Uh, so I think they're an incredible uh, option to use um, and they're free which is which is great if you happen to have a hill around and, and get some some off season work in. Um, I I was lucky enough. Uh, there's a couple of you know great practitioners in this field. One of them is Vicky Bendis, um, who's doing some incredible work uh, with speed. And I I got to listen to Andy O'Brien speak a while back over the summer. He works for the Penguins. Both of those guys were talking a lot about how they use hill work, and it's it's really interesting and. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Um, I don't think athletes are because it's hard. <laughs> but but again, with anything like conditioning wise or, or, or running based, you have to consider what you're using it for. Are you using it as a conditioning modality? Are you using it as a speed modality? Because the exercise is going to look the same, but how many you do, the intensity that you do them at, the, the rest ratios that you're going to have are going to be completely different as well. So that's one thing that coaches don't often understand is, is, well, and athletes to a certain extent don't understand it as well. It's hard to get an athlete to wait for 60 to 90 seconds in between reps but you know explaining why they need to do that is, is pretty important but
1: yeah sorry that's a long answer but yeah i like hill sprints they're good No, oh, I, I love i love the long answers and and there's a lot of knowledge there and and like you said you know a lot of times athletes when they get in that situation where they're doing sprints or, or doing similar work uh, you know they don't want to have that pause in, in between reps they just want to keep going and, and carry that momentum and that adrenaline but it's something that needs to be considered. And I think uh, you really broke down that type of work out there very well in terms of how it can be used uh, beneficially in hockey. You know, I love the listener questions just because it offers a lot of opportunity for guests to interact with people like yourself in the industry. And the people at my hockey resource feel the same way, their community on discord, and they have people from starting at amateur people or fans, all the way up to professionals in the game who just want to learn about the game and ask these type of questions. And talk about different um, articles books or conferences or podcasts even like this so for anybody who's interested in learning that way be sure to check out my hockey resource on twitter and instagram steve you're somebody who uh, works as a lecturer and and definitely has read a lot in your time Uh, you know in addition to your interpersonal learning and and learning from experience what are some of your favorite books articles etc that you look to for new ideas and for reference
0: um sure there's yeah there's a there's so many out there and i think um specifically for hockey there's a lot of conferences and, and things out there so the strength and conditioning association for pro hockey um are pretty active on on social media uh they look after all the the strength and conditioning uh nhl guys so they have some some great resources there um i I do kind of rely a lot on social media and that, those interactions with, with peers. So I've met and been able to converse with some incredible practitioners from around the world. It's amazing what you can do just sending an email to somebody and saying, hey, do you mind having a, having a chat? And, and I do it all the time. And you know, this, this week I've had you know, two or three conversations with, with young coaches already that, that want to speak to me. And I always take those opportunities because I remember when I was starting out, I wanted to to kind of speak to those guys as well, so it was I, I try and pay that pay that back a little bit. Um, other books, um, trying to get away a little bit from from just strength and conditioning. You know, we look a lot around things like Simon Sinek's book. I Start with why. That's pretty commonly thrown around there. And again, that was one I read that was that was really interesting to, to make you think, um, uh, you know, completely out of the box. And another one that's a really, really long read, but um, I think it's called Sapiens. And I think it's called A Brief History of Everything is the subtitle, but I could be wrong there. Um, but that, but it's basically, you know, humans from from start to finish, and, and just some fascinating discussions that they have there. I was talking to somebody else the other day about money and this concept of money. And the book sort of breaks it down as to how we've just, they're just bits of paper that that is an IOU and promises you to. And I'm like, this this is crazy. Like, we've invented this whole thing. and But now it's like the most important thing in the world. So, yeah, Sapiens is another one to, for people to get their head around.
1: Yeah, so many different resources and a lot of times it's not hockey as we come to learn on, on the podcast and talking with other guests. It's just things that are interesting and a lot of times these things can be brought into the game. But definitely you're one of those people who, as you have mentioned there and before, you like to learn from conversation and talking with people and, and a lot of times you could be younger people, but they can also be mentors to you in your career. So for you personally, who are some of those people who have helped you get to where you are today? And what are some of the major lessons that they taught you, you know, maybe collectively?
0: Um, I would say number one is a very good friend of mine. I met, yeah, I mentioned him earlier, Adam Douglas. So he's a sports scientist who works for catapult, which are a GPS company, which a lot of the NHL uses. Um, He's also the high performance manager for hockey Canada. And I did some work with Adam you know, we've, we've had a history going back a few years, even when I was working for Great Britain Women and I emailed him and, you know, completely unknown and, and was like, listen, you work for, for the Canadian women. I work for GB, like, we're not much of a challenge. I'm just wondering if you could, like, tell me a little bit about what you do. And the guy is just such a nice guy, super helpful, super friendly, um, has helped me along the way um, in, all, in all aspects. And, and we speak all the time and an incredible guy and a lot of time for him and he's probably like the number one guy um within the industry i'd say devon mcconnell is another one so actually i should have mentioned him in the book section devon has a great book he co-authored called intent which is an incredible ice hockey uh, strength and conditioning resource it's actually just a, a great team sport strength and conditioning resource devon's just uh mm-hmm gone to the phoenix organization in arizona um and 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 again like he and i talk talk fairly regularly and he's a pretty uh, influential guy in my mind so yeah a lot of love for, for those guys and and then i just finally sort of finish off with my supervisor my PhD supervisor john hughes um uh, works down at university of gloucester in in the uk here and uh again we've been involved for a long time with with hockey and other bits and pieces so three guys who were, who were always happy for me to ask some stupid questions and, and will patiently explain answers to me so a lot of love for those three guys
1: yeah you always need to have those people in your corner and I'm sure I have a lot of people as well that would say I've asked some stupid questions or multiple stupid questions over the years just asking about the game and, and different areas but Uh, It's always great to have those mentors who are willing to help you and, and, uh, you know, embrace your questions and your concerns with open arms. So, uh, you know, for you, maybe turning it around and, and being in the role where you can maybe give someone else advice as a final question on the podcast, if someone came to you, maybe it's yourself back in the day when you were looking to get in hockey, or maybe it's someone who's looking to just enter that field. What's one piece of advice that you would give them hoping that they would be successful in the field of strength and conditioning?
0: Um, I don't know if there's just one. It's an incredibly challenging industry to get involved in because you need um, education and then you need experience. And the problem is you can't get experience until you have experience. It's a very tricky situation for people. So um, I tried and and i honestly emailed and harassed people day and night until i could get some experience and it when i worked for for great britain uh, and and the eiha i was there for four years um you know doing some consultancy work just getting paid a little bits here and there mainly for my for my travel or for a weekend because i needed to get that experience so that's the thing i would say you know that everybody every job that you see advertised asks for qualifications you just have to go and get them you have to tick them off the list it's about getting experience and getting worthwhile experience so um if you're just going to a role and you aren't learning at that role you're, you're probably wasting your time there but but be prepared that you're going to have to work very hard. You're going to have to probably work for free for quite a while um, and take every single opportunity that you can and speak to every single person that you can and, and listen to what they have to say.
1: Yeah. Some tremendous advice and, and multiple things there, but at the end of the day, you have to put in the work and realize that anywhere in this industry, whether it's strength or conditioning or any other area of hockey operations, a lot of time it's free work and, and just getting the experience and eventually Uh, getting in a situation like you said before is uh, that you don't have to work a day you know you can just enjoy the experience and, and get paid while doing it so Steve I just want to thank you again for taking some time today to join me on the podcast and I hope you're doing well and staying safe and I wish you all the best moving forward
0: yeah I really appreciate the time it was a great conversation Ryan all
1: right take care all the best thanks I would like to thank Steve for joining me on the podcast and for giving us the rundown of his experiences in sport and more specifically the game of hockey. It was an area of interest for myself and I'm sure I can speak for others when I say that it will be a further desire to learn about this area moving forward as a result of this conversation. If you would like to get in touch with Steve to learn about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly or you can contact Podcast at Outlook.com and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, I'll be joined by Dave Smith, head coach with RPI. Dave brings a wealth of NCAA knowledge to the podcast, and I'm excited to see what that release will bring on Sunday. Once again, thank you to everyone for continually listening to and supporting the podcast and for sharing our content on all platforms. We will continually look to grow and hopefully we'll continue to move in that direction as we push towards the Hockey Minds Conference in June. As always, stay safe and all the best.